0: Jesus, God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Sometimes you have to move away in order to understand how much you are formed by a place. Wilderness was part of my upbringing, my formation as a human being. As a native Coloradan, as a kid, I camped and backpacked in the Rocky Mountains. Then I went to college out in California. I swam in the Pacific and spent some time falling off a surfboard or two. I even climbed a bit in the desert at Joshua Tree. Then after all my years out west, I moved to Washington, D.C. for seminary, and I stayed there to serve my first church. I have to tell you that these days I'm really grateful to live back on this side of the gateway to the west. When I lived on the east coast I traveled a fair bit, through Virginia, Maryland, New York, Pennsylvania, the Carolinas, it's a beautiful country out there, but I couldn't escape the impression that people lived too close together. Out east you can scarcely find an unsettled valley. And as I grew to know the East Coast, I realized I would never be totally at home. I would always feel a bit crowded. And maybe you're like me. And when you heard Lord Grantham on Downton Abbey say to Mary, his oldest daughter, who's just failed again to secure a marriage, go out to America. Bring back a cowboy from the Middle West who will shake us all up. (laughs) Maybe you also thought, I resemble that remark. <laughs> Maybe. One of the gifts we have out here, out in the West, is wilderness. We're still a little wild out here. And today's gospel begins Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice the prepositions up and into. The Spirit of God isn't leaving Jesus down and out words you might expect of someone walking away from polite society. No. The Spirit is leading Jesus up and in, into the wild. Those words express reason, purpose. Sometimes you have to leave behind the busyness of life, the hurry, the crowds. Sometimes you have to go somewhere quiet. The literal translation of Matthew's word is a lonely place. It's in the wilderness that we're free from the human constructions of reality. Out of the cities and societies that we create and manipulate, we find reality a bit more raw, untouched by human hands. I remember as a teenager when I'd come back from backpacking trips to return to the real world and wonder which world was more real. We're invited out from under the under the fluorescent lights of the shopping malls out to bathe in the darkness of a starlit star, star sky I spent a number of summers working sleepaway camps in Colorado and one particular summer I was assigned to the ropes course staff each day we were assigned a group of teenagers and in the morning we set off for the low ropes course a series of games and challenges designed to build the team In the afternoon, we got to outfit the kids with helmets and harnesses and take them up on the high ropes. They climbed walls and they walked on tight ropes and they eventually leapt from a platform 60 feet in the air and almost unfailingly screamed as they sailed down a zip line through a mountain valley. It was a great job. In the transition time over lunch, between the low ropes and the high ropes, we had the group sit down on the pine needle covered forest floor around a giant wooden circle. And painted on the circle were three more concentric circles. the outer ring was deep green and it was labeled safe zone. The innermost ring was bright red and labeled Danger Zone. And between the two, in a yellowish-orange, there was an area called the Challenge Zone. We explained to the teens that the hope of the whole Ropes experience was to help them hang out in the Challenge Zone. We didn't want you to feel like you were in danger, but we also didn't want you to be totally comfortable. Human beings tend to grow when they are challenged. You can fall asleep when you're safe. You freeze up when you're petrified. But when you're nervous, you have a chance to learn something about yourself. For someone living at the time of Jesus, the wilderness was a challenging place. Away from the safety and security of your tribe and the wild, you were vulnerable to robbers in those days, even to predatory animals. Now, Galilee and Judea are surrounded by desert. Water isn't always easy to find. What Jesus was doing could be dangerous. But this episode is just the first of several in the Gospels, where Jesus goes away by himself to a lonely place. <coughs> Jesus often heads out alone into the wilderness, like his cousin John the Baptist out there with the locusts and the honey. The faith of Jesus is nourished by time apart from the safety and security of his group. And Some of you might be wondering when I'm going to get around to talking about the devil. And what I find interesting about the devil in this chapter is following the names for Jesus' adversary. There's this interesting progression that happens in Jesus' awareness of the character. Matthew first references the character as the tempter when he appears to Jesus after all of that fasting in verse 3. The tempter. After the first temptation, the name changes to the devil, the diabolical one. That Greek word is still a little diffuse. Where devil in English is more specific, diabolos in Greek can mean adversary less specifically. In Greek, diabolos can even mean lawyer. But by the end of our reading, Jesus yells, away with you, Satan. Jesus calls out old scratch by name. Out there in the wilderness, famished, I wonder if it took Jesus a little while to be able to discern with whom he was contending. But when Jesus knows the name, he can say, away with you. When you know the name of your demons, are you able to banish them? The whole episode is perplexing. Why would the Spirit of God lead Jesus out to face Satan? I know, and I bet you know, the dogmatic answers to that question. It was so he could be tempted in every way as we are, yet not sin. Well, congratulations, we passed catechism class. But I'm not sure passing catechism will help us follow in the way of Jesus on this one. Jesus, just two chapters from this story, tells his followers when they pray to include the line, Lead us not into temptation. Even as an adult Christian, I stumble on that line. I've never liked the idea that God would lead us into temptation, that we have to pray to ask God not to do so. And this morning, I find myself wondering whether Jesus had this particular experience in mind when he gave the disciples that line of prayer. Did Jesus' time in the desert in chapter 4 influence his prayer in chapter 6? Was Jesus shaken by what he saw out there in himself? Really, as some of you know too well, we often don't get to choose to find ourselves in that lonely place. We don't get to choose our challenges. When you discover yourself out there in the desert, not of your own choosing, it's important that first you get out of danger. Make your way out of danger. That's the first step. But the second step is important as well. Learn from the discomfort. We often rush that second step. I'm a novice when it comes to this way of praying we call contemplative prayer. And the particular uh, practice that I've been trying for a few years now is called centering prayer. It's a form of Christian meditation where you attempt to totally quiet your thoughts That's not always easy. And the Buddhists have a wonderful way to describe the human mind as it tries to approach silence. Often when we sit for quiet, we find ourselves running through our shopping lists or picking at an old grievance with a sibling. Our mind jumps from topic to topic. The Buddhists call this monkey mind. Our thoughts jump from branch to branch like a silly simian. And centering prayer teaches you to gently let go of those thoughts, to return to the quiet. Once I was caught a bit off kilter in the centering prayer group. I was able to sit for several moments with remarkably few thoughts. I didn't even congratulate myself for my lack of thought, which I often do. (laughs) This time I was just quiet. Then I teared up. I just started crying. I didn't know why then, and I'm still not totally sure what the tears were about. Thomas Keating, the principal teacher of Centering Prayer, often tells folks not to be surprised if they're suddenly overcome by emotion. Many of us keep ourselves so busy that we don't fully experience the moment. We don't allow ourselves to fully feel the feelings of stress, loss, and general frustration in our day-to-day life. And when we face a particular trauma, we often hurry through, busily moving to the other side of the experience. Keating says he sometimes found it helpful to have a grief counselor at Centering Prayer Retreats. Because when someone is able to find the contemplative silence old traumas can resurface. Lead us not into temptation makes some sense from this perspective. What loving leader wouldn't want to spare his or her followers the pain if they could? But Jesus knew himself well enough to know he needed the time apart. He needed to wrangle the demons. As a bit of an aside, I appreciated Melissa reading that hard-to-read reading from Genesis. I've always liked that t-shirt that says, Eve was framed. (laughs) There's a story from the Riverside Church in New York City. Back in the 70s, a woman got up to read that story about Eve and the serpent. When she finished that very same reading we heard this morning, she said, here ends the reading where Eve chooses consciousness over unconsciousness. And the people responded, thanks be to God. (laughs) That question of consciousness, of what we allow ourselves to examine, it's an important question, a wilderness question. How fully do we open our life, open our story? And Brene Brown is a professor of social work and an Episcopalian. Her books and TED Talks have become remarkably popular over the past few years. Remarkably popular because she bills herself as a shame researcher, but she's become popular. And She talks about the courage it takes to be vulnerable, to open yourself up, to really talk with people about what you're facing. She says that to be embraced in a community, we have to have our suffering and our pain embraced as well. We have to be fully present. We can't just always say, I'm doing fine. This is a quote from Brene Brown. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. It takes courage to be vulnerable. It takes guts to say, I'm struggling over here. But folks, we all struggle. It takes temerity to admit imperfection. This first Sunday of Lent, it's the beginning of a long journey with Jesus. It's an imperfect journey. And in the end, we encounter suffering and sacrifice. I wonder, could this Lent be an invitation? Could we ask one another, where is your wilderness? Where can you go to be vulnerable? Where will you face your demons? Will you venture into the literal wilderness? Will you sleep a night out under the stars in the quiet? Or perhaps will your wilderness be more metaphorical? Will you spend some time in silence? We'll have opportunities for contemplative prayer here at the church on Mondays. We're gonna start church with some silence each week. You're allowed to get to church early. Really, you are. (laughs) You all did remarkably well with that silence at the beginning. Wherever you find wilderness, Will you take time to be vulnerable, to name your demons, to step into the more challenging aspects of your life? If you decide to undertake a wild journey this Lent, I wish you every blessing. Don't hesitate to ask for help. Know that Jesus has gone this way before you, know that God will never leave you. In my own life, I have found God more easily in the wilderness in the lonely places, than in the busyness of life. Wilderness has value. Journey safely, just not too safely. Amen.